0: good morning. Oh come on you can do better than that. Good morning. morning. Thank you. Now we're waking up. Uh, If you've got a Bible uh, or a a device there it'd be handy to have that open at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we uh, look at this part of God's word together but I'm going to pray for us before we do that. Let's pray. Father we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us to enjoy and we thank you for your word which Um, We can uh, read with joy as you speak to us through it, uh, as you reveal to us great promises uh, and the sure and certain hope that we have of the future, a hope uh, that you have secured for us in Jesus. We pray that we have a a fresh appreciation for that this morning as we consider uh, these wonderful words from 1 Corinthians and we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Well if you took a poll of every person who identifies as a Christian and you ask them this question, do you think that Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, you might assume that you would get a unanimous response uh, but that actually isn't the case. Uh, it wasn't too many generations back that if you turned up to a Presbyterian Church in Sydney or an Anglican or a Baptist Church for that matter, it was more likely than not that the minister in that church would not have believed that Jesus in fact rose from the dead. Back in the 30s and the 40s most of the Bible colleges in England and Scotland that were producing ministers for Australia were no longer teaching that the Bible was historically reliable. They didn't think that that mattered. Uh, As recently as uh, 1993 there was a bit of controversy in the Presbyterian Church here in Sydney. Some of you might remember the heresy trial of a man named Peter Cameron. Um, Now whatever you think about the way that matter was handled um, the fact remained that this was a man who didn't believe that God's word was reliable. He didn't think it mattered if there were things in the Bible that were not true like the resurrection of Jesus. But it's not just um, A modern phenomenon it's not just the emergence of scientific modernism or what we might call liberal theology. That has called into question the resurrection of Jesus. It was clearly an issue all the way back at the very beginning of the church's life. We see it as an issue here in the Corinthian church. There were those in the church who were saying that there is no such thing as the resurrection. Now where this idea came from exactly we we can't be sure Paul doesn't spell it out for us here. But we do come across this idea uh, even in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus has run-ins with a group called the Sadducees. They were a a sect within Judaism and they didn't believe in the resurrection. They're the ones that put to Jesus that, if you remember that really weird question about um, the woman who marries all these guys who keep, no, it's the other way around, isn't it? Anyway, someone keeps dying and they wanna know who they're gonna be married to uh, at the resurrection. But it's also possible that this idea has crept into the church through greek philosophy Uh, so there was lots of ideas within greek philosophy one of them was that uh, this physical world that we're in will play no part in the world to come and so it's possible that that idea has somehow uh, infiltrated into the church with all of the the greek believers who are now part of the community there but paul wants to say that if there is no resurrection it would be nothing short of disastrous for those who follow Jesus. And he starts by reminding them of the gospel that he preached to them. And he says you can't have two-thirds of the gospel. Uh, So pick it up there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1. I'll have the words up here as well. Paul writes, Now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Paul says the gospel is not like a a subject that you're trying to pass. In most subjects if you get two out of three, That's pretty good 66% it's a solid pass a credit even just crept in. But Paul says you can't chop and change the gospel like that. He says Jesus died he was buried and he rose from the dead. It's a job lot and if you leave out the resurrection. Well you undo the whole thing. And so Paul reminds them here of this message this message that he preached to them. He says this is the gospel you believed in this is the gospel that has saved you. More than that Paul is quite adamant that this message is in fact true. That these things happened. He himself has seen the risen Jesus. But so did the disciples so did more than 500 other people. And Paul here reminds them that some of these people are still wandering around if you want to ask them about it. See Christianity is a religion that's based upon history and truth and that means our faith rests on certain historical facts. Uh, Our own church the Presbyterian Church of Australia uh, was formed in 1901 and there's a little document a little preamble um, that it's called the basis of Union and in that preamble it makes it very clear what's non-negotiable in what we believe and this is one of the things that it says. It says the Christian faith rests upon certain objective supernatural historical facts. Especially the incarnation, the atoning life, death and the resurrection and ascension of our Lord. We're not free to chop and change this gospel. 66% of the gospel is really no gospel at all. But this is all very personal for Paul as well. If Jesus hasn't been raised Well, not only would that make Paul out to be a liar, but Paul's whole life wouldn't make any sense. Paul's life was dramatically transformed when he met the risen Lord Jesus on that Damascus Road. That event had turned his whole life around from being the great persecutor of the church to being its greatest advocate, its greatest apostle and servant. And Paul, for his part, has done his very best to peddle this message all over the Mediterranean. And so Paul spells it out for not only himself but also for us. In terms of what it would mean if Jesus had not been risen from the dead. So verse 13 of chapter 15 goes this way. He says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And again in verse 17, He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If Jesus has not been raised, Christianity unravels. Paul's message, the gospel, all his labour, the churches that he's planted, it's all a waste of time. And your own faith, it's just as pointless because it's been placed in a dead savior a false message about him that's been perpetrated by a bunch of people who are at best deluded or at worst straight up liars if jesus has not been raised you are still in your sins death still stands death still wins the resurrection of jesus completes his work on the cross and without it The cross is emptied of its saving power and so Paul is quite adamant that if what we believe is not true then we Christians deserve nothing but people's pity. See what he says in verse 19? If only for this life we have hope in Christ we are of all people most to be pitied. And isn't that right? Paul spent his whole life serving Jesus. He suffered immensely in this work of the gospel. He talks about his suffering and how he continues in hardship as he serves God with all of his life. That's what he's getting at in verses 30 to 32. where He reminds them of what he went through. He says, and as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If there is no resurrection, what's the point of all of this? Paul says he might as well just go and live for himself and live for the moment. To eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Only a fool would in Jesus name make sacrifices, give their money away to gospel causes, seek to exercise a self-control and live a godly life, to love others at great personal cost to themselves. Now you might choose to do some of those things to make yourself feel a bit better but that would be the only reason to do it. See. Christianity doesn't work if it's just a set of values to give our lives meaning and purpose. If it's not grounded in reality, if it's not grounded in the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it becomes a bit of a sad and tragic joke. The resurrection is the source of our hope as Christians. And if you take it away, you take away that hope. And So what exactly is our hope? What is in store for us? Well Paul spells that out in the last chapter uh, Well, sorry the last part of this chapter in chapter 15. He says there in verse 51 listen I tell you a mystery we will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound The dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. When the last trumpet sounds and Jesus returns the dead will be raised. It's perhaps not the kind of detailed answer that many of us might like Paul to spell out for us what what that will all be like but I think one of the things Paul's getting at here is that the details are not that important. He explains for us what we do need to know. And the certainty that we can have in knowing that these things will take place. See there's another question that the Corinthians and I think we sometimes wonder. And it's like well if there's going to be a resurrection what kind of bodies will we have? Uh, that's the question that's asked there in verse 35. He says but someone will ask well how are the dead raised? And. With what kind of body will they come? And Paul spends a bit of time in this chapter dealing with that through a series of analogies. He talks about a grain of wheat that dies and comes back to life again. Goes into the ground one thing and comes out another. Um, And he draws that analogy there in verse 42 and he says, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Paul says we're going down into the ground as one kind of body but raised with a different kind of body. He talks about how animals vary, they've got different kinds of flesh, even heavenly bodies differ to earthly bodies. But he talks about how our resurrected body will be different to our current natural body. So we don't know exactly what all this will be like. Paul doesn't get into the specifics as such. But the main point he wants to make is that we'll have bodies that are fit for eternity, that are imperishable. In some ways, it'll be like the body that Jesus had when he rose from the dead. That's what he says in verse 20. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then there's this. And just as we are born the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Jesus is described there as the first fruits of those who will be resurrected. Kind of the, the first one off the production line of resurrected people. And in that sense, he's, he's kind of a proof, a guarantee that it's going to happen. That just as it was for him that death was not the end, So it won't be the end for us either. See, ever since Adam, death has reigned in this world, reigned over our lives. And we've all borne his likeness, the likeness of Adam, the, the likeness of the earthly man. But Paul says that Jesus comes and he breaks that cycle, and in that he gives us a new future. When we are raised, we will bear the likeness of the man from heaven. We will have a body like his. A body fit for eternity. A body that won't break down, that that won't die like the perishable bodies that we have now. That's what Paul says in verse 53. He says, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been closed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? This is our future. This is what God has planned for us. That death would not be the end. And Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee of all of this. That sin has been dealt with. That death has been defeated. That eternity is waiting for us. So can you see how much we lose if there is no resurrection? Christ has not been raised. Our faith is futile. And if only for this life. We have hope in Christ, well then we should be pitied. If Christianity is just about providing us with a a nice set of moral standards to live by. Teaching us to be kind and generous to others. If it's just another religious philosophy to give some purpose and structure to our lives. Well I'd suggest you'd have to be a fool to be a Christian. Because if Jesus is still in that grave I think we should all go home and sell all this to I don't know the Rotary Club because the fact is if you follow Jesus wholeheartedly that is going to cost you. Jesus, uh, Paul talks about himself um, and the hardships he endured and for Paul he says well if that is the case You'd be better off just living for the moment, eat and drink, for tomorrow you die. You could certainly have an easier time of it if you just live for yourself and live for the pleasures of this life. Now, that life is probably ultimately going to be rather empty and unsatisfying. But what difference does it make anyway? It's as good as any other option. But if Jesus rose from the dead. Well that changes everything. The hope that Jesus gives us. This future that God has promised us. Is a rock for our faith. A thing that. Will enable us to persevere in serving Jesus. To live now looking forward to what has been promised looking forward to that. Day when Jesus returns. Looking forward to that time when we ourselves will be resurrected. That is something that will enable us to stand firm in our faith. And that's why Paul can say at the end of all of this. In verse 58 he says this. Therefore my dear brothers and sisters. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labour in the Lord. Is not in vain. Your labour in the Lord is never a waste. Seeking to honour God with your life. Is always worth it. I'm saying it's going to be easy. Like Paul there may be wild beasts to fight. Metaphorically speaking. You may face opposition. Anger from some. Hatred from others. You might find being a part of a church community hard going. You wonder whether or not it's worth it, whether or not it's worth you loving and seeking to serve the other people here. In your own life, you may be tempted to compromise, to be half hearted in your devotion to God. You may just grow weary. Prefer to leave the work of trying to grow God's kingdom to others. You may be wondering whether or not any of it really matters. When following Jesus is hard. When you feel like being faithful to him may just not be worth it. Perhaps when fear is threatened to overwhelm you. When that weariness sets in. Remember the gospel. Look to this one, that one who died, who was buried, who rose again. Keep your eyes fixed on him and fixed on the future that God has promised you. And then resolve to stand firm, to let nothing move you. Remembering that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We're going to respond in prayer and Ray's going to lead us in that.